Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would open our hearts, open our ears to hear from you right now. We pray that you would work through your word and your spirit would work in our hearts and that this would take root and grow and produce fruit and that it would honor you incredibly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you a a holiday-related question as I begin this morning. Are you tired? Is anyone here tired? Tis the season, right? I did just a small amount of research on this because it's it's one of those popularly held beliefs. I wanted to see if it's actually true, and it is. Uh, The number of cardiac deaths, heart attacks, is higher on December 25th than on any other day of the year. So you might even say our families are killing us. Um, It is second highest on December 26th and third highest on January 1st. And Time Magazine ran an article last year because, you know, correlation is not causation. If you you ever quote a statistic at somebody and they just dismiss it, they say, well, the fact that it happens at the same time doesn't mean that this is causing that. So they thought, well, maybe it's cold weather that's bad for our hearts and it just happens to be at the same time that Christmas is. So they studied people in Australia who celebrate December 25th in the summertime. And they still have more heart attacks at Christmas time than at any other time of the year. And as a pastor, I don't think it's the Lord that's doing it. The question is, are we resting during this time? I think it's fitting that in the midst of our holiday season, we look at a passage where God commanded rest. And so if you have your Bible today, let me encourage you to open it to the book of Exodus right in the beginning of your Bible. If you have one of the blue ones throughout the sanctuary here, you can turn to page 57 or the the Burgundy Bibles are large print and those are 67. It should be very easy to find though. Uh, So Exodus and we'll be going through the last few verses of chapter 15 all the way through chapter 16 today. And as I said, I will be talking about God's command to rest, to observe the Sabbath. And this command does not come out of nowhere. It's not a surprise to God's people. It's part of God leading his people and teaching them to worship. And after God has redeemed his people, brought them out of slavery from Egypt, he begins to teach them obedience. And we see that first step of obedience today. If you remember last week, the first test for them was just to stand by and watch God deliver them. As Pharaoh came and attacked them, and they fled through the Red Sea on dry ground, and God did all of the work. They only had to stand by and watch. Well, today we'll see his first commands as he instructs them in obedience, and we will see their first responsibility And this morning, in my message, I have three points. So if you have a bulletin, you can see my outline there. My first point is God has a purpose in testing. God has a purpose in testing. The second point is God shows his glory in provision. God shows his glory in provision. And God has a blessing in commands. 
God has a blessing and commands. And we will see God continue to lead his people along their journey that started in Egypt in the agony of slavery, and it will end on Mount Sinai in joyful worship. If there were a single sentence that unites those three points together, it would be this. By seeing God's glory and learning obedience, we can experience his blessing of rest. Let me say that again. By seeing God's glory and learning obedience, we can experience his blessing of rest. And as we go through chapter 16 in particular today, you can see that this lesson was not easy for the children of Israel. Immediately after praising God for his deliverance, and that's what most of chapter 15 is, it's a beautiful celebration of what God has done for them. As the song fades into the distance, they immediately begin to grumble. And as they grumble, God provides for them and gives them a promise. He says, if you obey me, I will bless you. So out of their grumbling, he says, you don't need to ever be in a position where you grumble. If you obey me, I will bless you. And that's the foundation of our text today. It's a promise of blessing for obedience. And as God promises his blessing, He tests his people. So he says, if you obey, then I will bless. And then he gives them an occasion to obey. To see what their hearts are really like. Not for his information, but for their information. And at the end of our text, we will see they disobey in two different ways. And finally, through that, we see God's purpose in giving us commands, and that that purpose is for our good. So by seeing God's glory and learning obedience, we can experience His blessing of rest. Sometimes that learning obedience is a painful process, but it doesn't mean that the end result will be different. So look with me today at the first part of our text, and we'll see the first point together. God has a purpose in testing. And to begin with, let's read verses 22 through 27 of chapter 15. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, And the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it in the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for... I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. My first point for today is that God has a purpose in our testing. And in these first few verses, a pattern is set up for all of chapter 16 and 17 both, which we'll see chapter 17 next week. 
And in that pattern, you see God leads his people to a place where they grumble. They grumble against God's leader. And God clearly states the purpose of his testing for them. And then their testing ends with blessing and remembering. So we're going to see the first instance of this happening in chapter 16. He kind of tells in advance here at the end of chapter 15 what's going to take place. And in the past, this is not the first time hearts have been tested in Exodus. In the past, when God tested Pharaoh, who had a hard heart, that testing ended in Pharaoh's destruction. But God has better things for his people. And although they are stubborn, God leads them to a place of obedience and leads them to a place of blessing. In verse 26 that we just read, God clearly says their obedience will lead to blessing. And there are different parts of that obedience. He mentions diligently listening. So we can ask ourselves, are we listening? He also mentions being careful to do what is right, so you not only hear, but you also put into practice. And he mentions giving ear to his commands and keeping all of his statutes. So really, he says the same thing in two very similar ways. Listen and obey. Give ear and keep. And that will lead to blessing. God clearly says specifically that they will not suffer from the diseases that they saw in Egypt. He sets up a pattern of blessing for obedience, and then he leads them to an oasis where their physical needs are met. There is fresh water that is good and rich, and there is lush shade. And so he takes them to a place of rest. I want to make this clear, though. It is not the obedience itself that heals and blesses them. It is the Lord. Sometimes people look at the Old Testament law and say, if we followed this, we would be healthy. Well, no, that's actually not what God says. The important thing is not keeping all the dietary regulations and rules. The important thing is listening to the Lord and obeying him and seeking a relationship with him. And you can see that very clearly because God is the one who gives the diseases to the Egyptians. It's not that they have failed to practice good hygiene It is God has given them those diseases as a judgment. And he says, I am the Lord, your healer. So it's not as though the obedience automatically keeps them healthy and strong. It's the relationship to the Lord where God provides for them. There are two mistakes that we make all the time when we look at God's commands. We can either worship the rule And forget God. And that, I think, is what happens when we say this rule is what meets our needs. That's not the case. That's legalism. And Jesus has stern words to those who worship the list of rules that God gave as if the rule was providing the blessing. That's not the case. But then on the other extreme, we come up with all sorts of reasons to not follow the rules that he gives us. And that's straight disobedience. This text makes it clear that it's the relationship with God that matters. You don't have a relationship with God if you worship his rules, and you don't have a relationship with God if you disobey his rules. God declares, I am the Lord, your healer. We need to know him. And he leads them to this place of blessing where they have shade and fresh water. And so notice that God promises blessing for obedience, 
And this comes in a context of testing. And twice in our text today, God says, I am going to test you to his newly redeemed people. He does not magically transport them straight to the promised land. He begins to develop their character. And I want to give you a verse from the New Testament that shows that God does this with us as well. So in the book of James, and I'm just going to read it, it's three short verses. This is from James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. So if you want to look it up later, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, you can write down the reference. In the New Testament, it says this to Christians, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The testing gives us occasion to mature, to grow, and God deliberately puts us in times and places of testing. Both God's commands and his tests are intended for our good. And as we continue into chapter 16, we see how this relationship grows as God continues to show his glory and provision. And that's my second point today. God shows his glory in provision. And I want to read verses 1 through 16, but I want to do it in stages. In these verses, we will see the same pattern of grumbling, testing, and blessing. And first, notice the grumbling in verses 1 through 3. Scripture says, chapter 16, verse 1, They set out from Elim, and the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. On the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out in this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Again, remember God led them to this place where they don't have something that they need. You need food to survive, and they don't have it. But rather than trusting him, rather than remembering his promises and his past provision, they immediately reject Moses as their leader, and they say they would rather be slaves and die in Egypt where they had food than be free and live in a place where God has led them, where God is asking them to trust him. And God responds to this grumbling in his kindness with a test and a display of his glory. So look with me at verses 4 through 12. And this is where you see God's glory in our text today. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. 
Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Notice, God gives the purpose of the testing in this text today. In verse 4, He makes it clear He intends to test them. Why? To see whether they will walk in the law or not. And God has promised them blessing if they obey. So now He is giving them a specific command, specific instructions to obey. And notice that as He tests them, He is displaying His glory, His awesome character and power through provision. Seeing God's glory is the occasion for testing. When you learn about God, you have the opportunity to worship Him through obedience or to deny Him glory through disobedience. Every time there's a revelation of God, we have this choice. And the text says that when the people see His glory, they will know that He is God. That is in verse 12. And you know, God has continually been introducing himself through Exodus. There was some 400 years where he had not spoken to the children of Israel. So you might think in a real way, they were estranged. They were strangers. They were meeting God for the first time. And so he begins to show who he is, his divine character, in the pages of Exodus. And that's something that I think every single person who is ever born experiences to a very real extent, whether you see his glory in nature, in the sky around you, or whether you see it in creation, or whether you read about what God has done in the scriptures, all of us have an opportunity to see God's glory and worship him through obedience or to reject him. And for the Hebrews, this miracle of provision is another part of what it means when God says, I am. Which is why he says, then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. He uses that name that's revealed in the burning bush to Moses. He's showing himself now to his people, to all people, not just Moses. And for the Hebrews, this encounter where God says, I will provide for you, is demonstrating again that he is the great I am. He has everything he needs. He is able to provide for his people. He lacks nothing. And as evidence of that, he miraculously feeds over a few million people in the desert. Earlier in the text, it says there are 600,000 men, which means easily there are 3 million people here. In a few months, we'll be going to the book of Mark. And I want to just give you a taste of what we're going to do when we're there. Jesus does this same miracle again and again. And we are intended to see clearly Jesus is the same God who has the same ability to provide for us. But for now, let's look at his specific provision in verses 13 through 18 as God provides for his people. Verses 13 through 18. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, 
finest frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each of one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some, some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever had gathered had nothing left over, and whoever had gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Here you see the clear commands to gather as much as they can eat and to not keep it overnight. God has already told them exactly what to do. And the question is, do they obey his commands? And the answer is no. But through their disobedience, God teaches them the blessing of obedience and to remember his blessings. And so the final point this morning is that God has a blessing in his commands. And unfortunately, they only learn it as they disobey, but gradually are brought to a place of obedience. So look together with me at the rest of our text this morning, and we're going to see that God has a blessing in his commands. God has a blessing in his commands. And look with me first at verses 17 through 20, where we see the very first command broken. And the people of Israel did so. They obeyed what God commanded in, in gathering. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever had gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever had gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over until morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. And this is the first commandment, broken. It's actually not that surprising because they have already dismissed Moses and his leadership. So they no longer trust him to faithfully, accurately tell them what God has said. And in their fear... They try to hoard the provision of God because they don't trust that he will provide it again for them the next day. They gather too much and the immediate consequence of their sin is that their food goes bad. They don't have the food that they thought they would and their work was pointless. It's actually not surprising that they also don't listen to God's second command because of the consequence that they had for disobeying the first one. Look with me at verses 21 through 30 and see how they disobey the second command as well. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept until morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. And Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. And on the seventh day... 
Some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. At the beginning of this passage, God says, I am giving you these laws for your good. And here, before they even receive the rest of the Ten Commandments, they realize that they can't even keep the two commands that God has given them so far. Even after God has told them that he would bless them for obedience. And notice you see the gift of the Sabbath given to his people. God doesn't describe it as a command that they will struggle to obey, but rather as a blessing that will encourage them and cause them to thrive. God intends to do good things for them. They are no longer slaves. Slaves do not get to take a day off. God says, as my redeemed people, take a day off. And the purpose is to rest, and this is to be a weekly reminder of their freedom from slavery. But this is not the only reminder that God gives them. He also wants them to remember his provision. And so as we close the chapter today... You see that God gives them a permanent reminder of how he has provided for them so that they will trust his provision in the future. So read with me the last few verses today, verse 31 through 36 of chapter 16. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. And Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. And the people of Israel ate manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And an omer is the tenth part of an ephah. Here, we see the importance again of memory. And this is a theme that's woven throughout the book of Exodus, that we need to remember what God has done for us. And I believe that these verses tie this portion of Scripture that we've looked at together. Because remembering God's provision is a key to resting in him. And resting in him is a key to obeying his commands. I want you to think about that for a second. When you remember your sin and feel guilty, you are forgetting God's provision for your forgiveness. And this applies spiritually and it applies physically. And as we close, I want to talk a little bit about the importance of Sabbath rest for Christians. This is an area where I'm growing on. I have not grown up keeping Sabbath, although that's not the fault of my parents. Most Christians don't. And there's some confusion as, is this for believers or is this not for believers? So let me say a few things to address that, and we will be coming back to that. So if you have questions, do two things. First, I would encourage you, many of you have concordances in the back of your Bible. Look up the word Sabbath and read as many verses as you can about it, both Old Testament and New Testament. 
study and continue coming and listening to the series on Exodus. There will be at least two other major portions of Scripture in this book that will talk about Sabbath rest. So this morning's remarks are not the end of this message, but I want to say a few things. Number one, we worship on Sunday. We don't worship on the Sabbath. The day itself does not matter. And I give you a reference for that from Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17. Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17. Christians worship on Sunday. Paul makes it very clear. Do not try to earn God's favor by keeping specific days. The days themselves do not matter. But I believe that the Sabbath principle does still stand. Work six days, rest one day. It goes all the way back to creation before sin ever existed. God created us this way. And I'll say more about this in a future message. Sabbath is so important that it shows up a few more times in Exodus. I believe that for Christians, this principle of rest one day of week is for our good, and it's not to be abused either by rigid observance that harms people. Jesus strictly and strongly condemns that kind of legalism, but it's also not to be abused by disobedience and ignorance. We are commanded as Christians, to rest. And our temptation, especially this time of year, is to not rest. We never feel like we have enough time, and we never will. And I can tell you that that is true in my life. My biggest frustrations boil down to feeling like I can't do everything that I want to do, or I can't do anything well because I'm spread too thin. Which means the idea of taking a day where I rest seems impossible, but God intends this for our good. And as I prepared for this message, I watched a chapel service from Moody Bible Institute with a professor I didn't have. His name is Dr. Kibbe. And he mentioned this. He said, if you don't observe Sabbath, you are either saying, I am God and the world can't run without me. I am essential to every, every day. Or you are saying, God has not set me free, and I am still a slave. One of those two things. There's either a position of pride, where you believe your work is essential, or there's a position of brokenness, where you don't recognize that God has liberated you. But resting, as God commands, recognizes that God is on the throne, He will get along just fine without us, and... We are recognizing that as his redeemed child, we get to take a break. So how can you rest? I want to say a few things just as I close. This is so essential. First, rest from your anxiety. Recognize what causes you fear. Recognize what causes you stress. Admit it and confess it to the Lord and let go of it. Ask God to help you understand your fear. And if you can understand the cause of your anxiety, then you can pray about it. But if you can't understand the cause of your anxiety, pray anyway. Like the man who came to Christ and said, I believe, help my unbelief, pray. I am afraid and anxious. Help me to trust you instead. Help me to rest from my fears, just like Jesus promised that he would give us rest. Second, and this point I have stolen directly from Dr. Kibbe because I couldn't make it any better, he said, prepare to rest physically by working ahead. 
So on the sixth day, God gives them twice as much food. Practically for us, that means that we may need to work harder in order to rest so that we can rest completely. That means very practically, make food ahead of time so that you don't have to prepare food when you are resting. This is not a legalistic law. This is not something heavy-handed. This is an opportunity for fellowship among families and among the church. So sometimes you need to prepare and work harder in preparation in order to really and truly rest. And I would encourage you to think about that during the holidays. How will you rest when you are together with your families? Women who who have the responsibility to prepare the holiday meal, how will you rest and enjoy the holidays with your families? Can you do that? I would encourage you that you need to do that if we are going to honor the Lord together as we remember his son's birth. And finally, as I close, I want to mention just a verse from Hebrews. This is from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. And the writer says this, So then, to believers, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall short of the same sort of disobedience. We are to strive to rest. And that striving may seem counterintuitive because the reality is all of us feel the need to work. So what we need to do is to work in order to rest. And the scripture says this in Romans chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, His faith is counted as righteousness. So let me ask you again today, are you tired? Are you anxious? Are you unhappy? Do you feel judged and condemned by other people and perhaps even by God? Then recognize, if you have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of sins and believe that God has raised him from the dead, you are God's beloved child and all the trials and tests he leads you through are for your good. And the most important thing you can learn right now is to rest in him. Are you weak and heavy laden? Cumbered with a load of care? Jesus Christ is still our refuge. You can find a solace there. Learn to rest. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would help us to rest in your great provision. Lord, we have heard your word. Give us hearts to apply it, hearts to obey it. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.